Kia ora. Welcome to the New Zealand Sim Nurse NZ podcast. My name is Erin. And I'm Alison. And I'm Marie. We are the three nurse educators from the Douglas Starship Simulation Program based in Auckland, New Zealand. We're all passionate about our work and so we'd like to welcome you to join us as we have a range of conversations about all things sim. Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā tātou katoa. Kei ngā maunga whakahi, kei ngā wai tukukiri, kei ngā mā tawaka o te motu. Ka nui te mihi kia koutou. To those who connect to the mountains, the rivers and oceans across the land, Hello and welcome to you all. So welcome everyone. Uh, today we've got a real treat for you. We are really, really excited about this episode. The build-up has been real. Um, <laughs> today we're speaking to a very inspiring world leader of simulation. Um, he has translated his knowledge into our program and he has helped to build the pillars of what is our program today and he's been with us and a part of our team uh, our team even though he's not with us mm. in person mm. since the get-go really um it's our first meeting of him today mm. due to covid and all of that fun <laughs> times um so today we are incredibly fortunate to be interviewing peter weinstock um, and he is from Immersive Design Systems, uh, which was formerly Simpedes at Boston Children's. Um, and so I'm going to hand over to Peter just to tell us a little bit about himself. Wow. Well, uh, Aaron, thank you. It is uh, so great to be here um, and to be seeing you all and hearing you all. Um, a little bit about my background. I am a uh, native New Yorker. Uh, grew up in Queens and then uh, spent most of my life in New York. And um, so um, did my training originally there it, uh, in, uh, in medicine and then uh, did a PhD actually in molecular biology. You'll see why I'm telling you this in a minute. Um, <laughs> and then <laughs> you're like, wait, this is not <laughs> 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 but wait, cool. you'll see the payoff. Um, and so, um, after that, I went off to um, do um, work clinically. I was very interested in um, design in general. Mm -hmm. And um, so I went and did a, um, a residency in plastic surgery. I was really interested in surgical design and, and reconstruction and went to Pittsburgh for that. And um, about midway through, um, really got addicted to um, taking care of critically ill patients in particular, um, and in particular children. Uh, always knew I would care for kids. And so made the decision uh, to leave Pittsburgh and, and go to Boston Children's Hospital, mm -hmm. where I um, landed in the early 2000s and uh, did my fellowship there and my residency there and um, pursued critical care medicine. And when I started there, uh, I was actually opening up a lab in molecular biology. Wow. And, wow. Um, and yeah. And uh around that time, the first mannequin made its way into the hospital. Mm -hmm. And the idea there, and this is the time was really a disruptive technology. I mean, it was this kind of crazy idea, which was you're going to bring a mannequin into a hospital because the model at that point, which was just starting, was to go to a bricks and mortar building and, and do simulations mm -hmm. in a standalone center. And so I had the fortune, uh, little did I know, uh, to interact with a mannequin when I was in the last year of my training. And I was completely blown away by the idea that you could, 
care for a patient, even if it be virtually, uh, before you actually cared for a real mm. patient. Yeah. And uh, it seemed to us now, it seems very matter of fact. <laughs> but at the time, right. it was mind blowing. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so much so that uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to take all of my interest in design and all of my training in medicine and science and scientific method. And uh, I think I'm going to pursue this area of simulation, which at the time really was very nascent. And, um, and that's what we did. And uh, I left the lab. I kind of closed the lab and, uh, and married simulation. Married <laughs> just and, uh, and so um, soon after that, I just became very interested in programmatic development. And, and that's what gave me the great fortune of working with people like you and, and, and the people at Starship and so on. I was very interested in um, how do you um, really leverage this idea that would be built on the idea of bringing a mannequin to a hospital, which really begged the question of how do you make stimulation as if as effective as an, and as accessible as possible to busy mm -hmm. clinicians and busy mm -hmm. enterprises. That that's what I thought would be the game changer. Mm -hmm. um, not just having a mannequin, but figuring out this secret sauce of how do you get it into the hands of the people who need it most. <laughs> yeah. And less of a just in case sort of model of, you know, training um, undergraduates, but really, how do you get it to the people who are caring for patients every single day mm -hmm. to make their life easier and to make uh, the care that they provide as optimal as possible. So that became kind of my, my passion and great interest. And um, that led to doing a lot of work in programmatic development. How do you structure all of this? How do you create mm, yeah, an engine yeah. that's like like that's a sort of turbo boost engine that's going to really make this thing effective and impactful? Um, and that just led to being interested in how do I how do you take some of this and and transform it and make it adaptable no matter where care is delivered was mm -hmm. the concept. And so my initial work was. Um, seeing how to transfer this into Europe, and there was sort of being in the right place at the right time, a whole bunch of circumstances at the time that led to doing a lot of work in Italy early on. Mm, but nice. could we take what we were doing in Boston and not install it necessarily, but adapt it mm. to uh, Italian culture, to the Italian healthcare system, and so on? And so it became a lot about how kind of adaptable and how much of an application really is this and how transformable is it. Mm. Um, and soon after that, uh, there was great interest in, in uh, venturing into the Australasian sort of mm -hmm. air, area of the world. And uh, I had the great fortune of meeting a gentleman named James Hamill, uh, yeah. who is a, a surgeon uh, at, at Starship, as you guys know. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he was visiting Boston Children's. And... Uh, was interested in trauma obviously and we had a very active trauma program and so he became uh we got very connected and became good friends and he uh had invited me uh i was very fortunate to come out and visit new zealand and auckland and starship children's hospital and was blown away by the place and the people and what people were trying to do and uh in our first class was a guy named mike shepherd mike was one of those people who kind of had the whole thing at hello you know he just yeah. completely got mm -hmm. it as mm -hmm. did as did people like trish trish wood and and others that were in that inaugural class mm -hmm. and um they've they've kind of become a bit of a who's who in in, in simulation mm -hmm. now um yeah. so that's a little bit of my background and and how i got into this and um 
how I got connected to your lovely institution. Mm. So see, I never knew it was James we had to thank for all this. Yeah, yeah. so like, exactly. <laughs> wow. Definitely be hunting him down to say thanks so much. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Awesome. Very so, cool. That's really Thank cool. you. Thanks for sharing. I mean, mm. my first kind of prompt here was around your personal journey into simulation. So yeah. that's wonderful. Um, and what yeah. do you think are the biggest things that have changed over time since you began? What What's the biggest changes that you've seen in your simulation career? You know, I think the the issue around um, the the imperative nature of simulation has changed in a good way. You know, when we got started um, back in the early 2000s, uh, it was really about, like I said, just in case training. It was really about mm. medical student training. It was about nursing student training. Nurses were really on fire with this kind of work because mm. it was so um, it really resonated with the nursing culture of precepting mm-hmm. and preceptees and education was mm-hmm. very much in their heart. Uh, in many ways, way beyond what was happening for physicians. So um, nurses really were early adopters mm-hmm. uh, of simulation technology and did some of the, the biggest amount of work early on. But it was a lot of it was focused on nursing students. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what what has evolved over time, as you guys have experienced and helped lead, is this idea of really how do you place it in the context of urgent need? Mm-hmm. And that's where the that's where the imperative argument comes up, where it's not just a nice if you have it, right. but that simulation now be, now simulation becomes an imperative to any successful healthcare enterprise, mm-hmm. no matter where you are in the world. Yeah, um, you know, we're doing work in along with Mike. Actually, Mike's helping lead a lot of work in India mm-hmm. uh, and in like Africa and L- other LMIC. And now you're seeing not just nascent simulation efforts that are starting, but pretty sophisticated simulation mm-hmm. programs that are forming because they're so critical mm-hmm. um, to to a successful healthcare system. Yeah. So that's been the major, and I think an incredibly exciting and successful story has been this um, transition from kind of a hobby shop, it's nice if you have it, <laughs> not mm, everyone's absolutely. got it, to, yep. to, you know, to how do we make sure that it's a standard of what we do. Uh, we can all find a way direction. of making it work, hey? Definitely. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, high, yeah, high yeah. resources or low resources, we can all find a way of making it work and and using it yeah. to our extreme advantage. So totally, mm, totally. In our um, in our first episode, we kind of did a bit of a journal article review, if you like, <laughs> of um, your Sim Zones article, um, or you and Chris's Sim Zones article, um, because I guess it's become the essence of everything we do in our program. Mm. It's incredibly important. To, Foundational document. Yeah, it was sort of something that we <laughs> took and ran mm. from day one. As soon as we began, we formed everything we do on that article. So it's very important to us. And we, a lot of, you know, when we're helping people out in smaller centres and things, when they're coming into issues and things, we can kind of see mm. how and why when we relate it back to the zones. So... Um, do you still use the zones in your system? And do you think that the zones will remain in the future? Mm. Yes and yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, we, we, we use it all. It is in, uh, embedded. Yeah. It is foundational in our program. And mm-hmm. in the programs we've worked with, we've been delighted to see it, its uptake. Mm, yeah. um, you know, sim, sim zones, as much of what we've done, over the years has come out of necessity. It's come out of 
struggle. Yeah. (laughs) And a lot of the struggle early on was that um, people would enter a room and would use the word simulation, but, you know, seven people would be in the room and seven people were talking about seven different things. (laughs) And it had to do, you know, it was like some people were talking about skills training. Some people were Mm, talking about team training. Some people were debriefing team training as if it was skills training. Some people were doing the opposite. Mm. Uh, People were totally confused, Mm. Uh, excited, but confused. And so we stepped back and we said, you know, we've got to figure out a way to explain through this problem, you know, make our way through the dark into the light Mm -hmm. and and give some give some um, structure to how people are thinking about simulation. And it was at a time where there was so much activity going on. It was like a a fruit salad of of simulation. (laughs) How do you how do you? <laughs> bear, bear with my metaphor. No, we get it. Um, no, right? again, but, we're uh, laughing knowingly. Is <laughs> what's happening, here. right? I mean, yeah. it felt like that, um, or not just fruit salad, maybe a smoothie. Um, yeah. But so we we needed to figure out a way to create order around it. So that mm. that was the concept that drove Tim Zones. And then the other element that's been incredibly useful has been to give it language. Mm. And mm, when you yeah. walk in when you walk in a room and you say, you know, we're going to do a, a zone 2 course, everyone knows what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. And that just saves tremendous amounts of time. It also aligns everyone in the room as to mm. what the goals and objectives of this exercise are. You know, it's almost like in surgery heading into the operating room and saying, "All right, guys, we're going to do a surgery." All right, you want to get some more information about that? Yeah, well, we're, we're gonna actually going to take the appendix out. Oh, okay, we're going to do an appendectomy. Oh, yeah, yeah. okay, we, let's get, we got the equipment for that. We can start getting ready. Um, yeah. And it felt early on in simulation that that's where it was headed. It was headed to, like, we're going to do surgery. No, no, no. You know, we need some details here. We need yeah. some standard operating procedure. Yes. Um, so it's been enormously helpful and very satisfying to see programs around the world adopting it. For yeah. that reason, I'm ho- I'm hoping it continues to be very helpful. We're we're working now on trying to expand it into virtual reality nomenclature and screen-based mm-hmm. work, and and figuring out sort of even a tactical co- toolkit for it. Because the more we can layer on that's useful, uh, the more it will uh, you know benefit programs. I mean, so. I must admit, when we do our Sim Essentials, which used to be Intro to Sim, and we talk about the Sim Zone, yeah. do you see this light bulb yeah. moment mm-hmm. of people mm-hmm. yeah. when you're talking about this yeah. is what we're doing in this bit, this is how we're going to debrief yeah. this bit? And everybody's like, oh, right, I get it now. <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah. it's just so, yeah, yeah. It, it is like a light bulb yeah. moment for a lot yeah. of people when you break it down into like, yeah. this is what we're going to do for this, this is what we're going to do for this. And it's it, like, right, almost, okay, yeah. that makes it a lot more easy for yeah. me if I'm going to be starting the sim to yeah. be able to break down and know what I'm doing in each session so yeah, yeah it's and, and without yeah. sort of making any real effort yeah. you're, you're actually you're explaining to them why they've been having these problems and without actually sort of having to take them all the way through it it goes ping 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 yeah. and they're like okay it's all coming yeah. together now yeah yeah which is very cool yeah uh-huh. yeah that's definitely it's our music experience. Music to my ears. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's nice and, to know yeah. what you're we're feeling that, is true. As yeah, well. yeah. And yeah. again, you, you kind of yeah. reinforcing that it's not going anywhere in a hurry is also sort of yeah. reassuring because it very much is a somewhat of a safety blanket, if you like. like that structure is so <laughs> yeah. important when you're doing what we're doing. Yeah. Making people vulnerable yeah. makes everybody safe if there's that really strong structure as well, which is so vital. Cool. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's great. And yeah, I guess so. So much, so much of uh, I was going to say, so much of innovation 
uh, I feel like ends up being less about the product and more about, you know, aligning expectations and mental mm. models around what is this innovation about and mm. what is it, what's, what's its purpose. And um, because you can have a, a really cool, shiny object, but if viewing it the right way, if people are not um, perceiving it for what it's really valuable for, mm. then you could end up, you can head up in various directions and not really get the most out of it and really leverage it as an innovation. So Absolutely. I've been, I've been struck actually by how much alignment is, mm. is important in, yeah. um, in developing innovation. So anyway, yeah. kind of a, nice. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're all fairly new into the trying to stay current with what's the latest and greatest in simulation. Mm-hmm. Um, we really enjoy being on Twitter and, you know, we find mm-hmm. a lot of stuff come through there of, you know, what people are up to with latest innovations in sim and um, new studies and all sorts of things. But we wanted to ask you, um, how do you stay current? What do you tap into to stay up to date with what's happening mm. worldwide with sim? Hmm. Good question. Um, you know, I, I would answer that probably in two ways. One is that I do some of the, you know, I try to do some of the usual stuff, you know, and, and never as good as it as I'd like to be. But, you know, I try to keep up on the literature. I think what's been fun and exciting and um, has been how, how wide the literature has become. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been fun for us. We have within our program these associate clinical directors that are coming from all the different subspecialties of the hospital, and they all have stimulation as their professional development pathway. And they're all publishing in their subspecialty journals. And so it gets actually very hard to keep track of of all of what's going on. But I think think that's a good sign. You know, it's almost like there's been an inoculation of healthcare in general. And now all of this publishing is happening and I'm getting articles that get sent to me by colleagues that are from, you know, sub, you know, plastic surgery journals and neurosurgery journals and neurology journals and social work journals and healthcare cool. enterprise journals. And, and it's all talking about simulation. So I think one element is trying to keep up with the literature, but in a good way that literature is getting so expansive, which is fantastic. Mm. The other element that I try to do, uh, which I enjoy and is forever a, a challenge is trying to stay aware of what what are our adjacencies to simulation. Meaning, we know what we do, right? We run simulations, immersive technologies, and we give people experiential learning and so on. But when you step back and you look at the actual methodology and the art of what we do, what is it really doing? And where what are the adjacent industries that feed into this or that are relevant to it. And so I've been very interested in the whole areas like of behavioral psychology, mm. not, you know, because of the debriefing experience. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. very, interest, very interested in biometrics and mm. trying to understand, you know, the human condition yeah. uh, that <laughs> during, stress, during stressful experiences. Mm. Uh, and it goes, you know, it goes on and on. So I think that that has been fun for me. And mm. what I love about stimulation, it's, it's fundamentally a recreation of life. And so any part of life is relevant to the science of what we do. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. At some point, you have to draw a line. My <laughs> wife tells me at some point you have to, you know, it's, can't keep expanding. The world right. isn't expanding like at that rate. But, um, but I do, I think it behooves us actually to be paying attention to, 
to the adjacent industries to what it is we do, because mm-hmm. that's what's going to re- real innovation within the simulation space, mm-hmm. I think. Absolutely. Um, so anyway, two elements, I think, of how I try to keep up and fail miserably at both. But. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, there's so much. So it's hard to keep up with it all. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. Nice. That was me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I'm number two. Oh, sorry, that's me. I'm just looking smooth. at my colleagues. We're you can tell I'm post night shift, Pete. So, Peter, so oh, yeah, just... I know. Don't you don't need sorry. to explain. <laughs> oh dear. I'm gonna, right. you, I'm gonna have you write. I'm gonna have you write a check for a lot of money at some point. <laughs> So, I mean, looking at the future of pediatric simulation, so I've, I've kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting into looking at VR and, and all those technologies. It's something that really, yeah. really excites me. And, you know, I've kind of been looking at, you know, other people's podcasts and, and symposiums, like a lot on um, healthy simulation um, with Lance Bailey and kind of like just looking at a lot of the symposiums on there about VR and and where it can be applied. So, I mean, you know, in terms of kind of the future of tech and and those kind of things, where do you see, I mean, you talked about simulation just now. I mean, where do you see sort of VR and AR and all those kind of, you know, technologies coming into simulation at the moment? Yeah. It's a great, it's a great question. You know, I, I guess I would start by saying, if you go back to sort of the rudiments of any of this technology, I, I've always said that the effect has to drive the tech. Mm-hmm. And I think that we are at a moment where we can get easily distracted by a lot of shiny objects. <laughs> yeah. And if, you yeah. Go, if, you go to, if you go to any of these tech shows, you know, they're just bombarding with tremendous amount of technology that's coming out. It's mm-hmm. very exciting. Right. So this VR and augmented reality and all the different goggles and loops and things that are all the companies are getting involved with now in the metaverse. And but fundamentally, you got to sort of stay focused. Right. Mm-hmm. Don't lose. Don't lose your goals and objectives. If that has not changed. Right. Uh, you know, you're still going to drive what tool you take off the shelf by what it is you want to achieve. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that it's tempting to want to take something off the shelf and figure out how to put a tour yeah. <laughs> because, it is, because yeah. it is so cool. Um, 100%. But it, in the end, you know, it's your student, it's the participant, it's your colleague, it's whoever that, that mm. customer is that's going to drive the need. Yeah. So, you know, it's, I, I've been getting also another adjacent industry. I've gotten very interested and very involved in design thinking and mm. design thinking you know, the whole concept behind design thinking is to spend 90% of your time understanding the problem mm. and spend 10% of your time solving it. Mm. And with VR, the temptation is to spend 90% of your time on the solution, which is with the goggles and putting <laughs> it on and putting, you know, figuring mm-hmm. out how to program various people and making them look real. And I haven't said anything yet about why we're doing this, mm. but it's very exciting to think about the technology. So, I would say that's the first answer to your question is, you know, stay true to the rudiment of, mm-hmm. of training or whatever your driver is, which is going to be that the customer drives and it's got to solve an urgent need. It's like Cotter's principles. It's got to mm-hmm. so- solve an urgent need and, and then figure out what tool to take off the shelf. Mm-hmm. Having said that, 
I, I think there's tremendous promise, obviously. I mean, VR is being touted as one of the great technologies in the future. Everyone's investing in VR technology. I mean, there's no doubt that it is currently starting to serve a real purpose and it's going to grow. Um, the question is what, how, to, how to apply it most effectively mm -hmm. in the healthcare domain. And I think right now, where I'm seeing it most effective is in zone one or what we would call zone zero, actually. We actually reserved zone zero specifically for VR. Mm -hmm. So, or specifically for, for automatic type of feedback training. And AR was just a you know, great example of what would fit in that bucket. And so for, for zone zero, zone one, where you're looking at clinical skills, you're looking at muscle memory, you're trying to understand the steps of a procedure, and we're using it a lot in that space, mm -hmm. it's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of it, of course, is that it's scalable, right? So you can put goggles on lots of people. You don't right. need to put them in expensive simulate, although the goggles are not cheap, <laughs> to be honest, uh, nor is the software development and so on. But I think in the lower end zones, uh, you know, it's got a really good application. And that's, again, the beauty of the sim zones is we can have this conversation. Yes. We know exactly where yeah. we're placing it. Yeah. When you start getting into zone two and three, it, it, it's not ready for prime time yet. You know, mm -hmm. you you need the blood, sweat, and tears of the nonverbals of human presence to. And I'm I'm okay with this being on public podcast. <laughs> saying this. You know, I yeah. I think we yeah. haven't lost our humanity yet, and it's mm, hard yeah. to recreate that Absolutely. in the virtual space. Absolutely, just, no one's gotten it yet. Yeah. And, you know, there's gamification, and you know, video games are phenomenal. My kids played them. I used to be a video gamer. You know, I get it. And, you're, you know, your adrenaline's up, all of those things. But it's different yes. than, as you guys have experienced, when you're at the bedside of a critically ill child. Mm -hmm. No one's game. Of, no one's been able to create a video game of that. <laughs> um, no. and, and simulation is our closest approximation mm. because it is colleague to colleague sitting you know, across a bed space. And that's the realism. We mm. all know that. It's mm. not the mannequins. It's no. the people that yeah. are in the room. Mm. Anyway, long-winded answer. I think it's a ph phenomenally <laughs> fascinating space and, um, mm. you know, one to keep an eye on and uh, very, very, I think it's going to enable a lot, but we have to use it wisely. Mm. I mean, I think that kind of leads on to, I mean, the second kind of part of that question is where do you see the biggest growth area currently in simulation? I mean, in terms of what, what, yeah. is, what, is, the, what is the kind of, you know, where are we heading? What's the future, Peter? I, I, yeah. <laughs> no pressure. Oh, gosh. Let's go to commercial. Is there a commercial break at some point? Or... <laughs> we have a cup of coffee. I'm post-night uh, shift. This is what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then Let's be real. Aaron's teeing up, like, what's the meaning of life? I think it's uh, <laughs> the next question that's come. <laughs> it's not 42. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me, I'll, I'll try to answer this question, and uh, again, in sort of two parts. I think one is, um, listen, I, you know, I think immersive design systems was, was kind of driven, this brand change mm -hmm. was driven by a need for us. And the need was that we didn't want to be pigeonholed into the word simulator anymore. Mm -hmm. And you'll see where I'm going with this. But I think... I think it really, when we started to look at what we were doing in the shop, 
the title simulator program on the front door didn't adequately describe what it was that we were doing every day. Mm -hmm. And what we were doing was we were leveraging immersive technologies to design better healthcare. And so I think that's the opportunity ahead is to take the rudiments of what we all do well, of which one of those is running mannequins. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's about 12 others. And then reconstruct those assets, as I would refer to, I sort of call them our assets as as a community, to drive better healthcare by helping in the design process, Mm, not just in the training process, but in the design process. And so I I really think a lot of our future is going to have less to do with mannequins. Mm, And it's going to have a lot more to do with our our skill set that we've derived from this experience, which Mm. is we have the potential to really help organizations develop psychological safety, for example. Mm, yeah. um, you know, I think that w- we talk a lot and spend a lot of time thinking about emotional intelligence. Mm, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, we talk a, a lot about, sure you know, a lot of these are, <laughs> sure <do>. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's what humans. I'm excited about. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's about really understanding human. Yeah. And, exactly. and we work with, you know, we're developing those skills to work with the humans and make them better humans at mm. doing the healthcare stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. We've so been that, having similar conversations. You've got it. This is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So excited right now. <laughs> so, so I, I think it's a mixture of both, just to answer. I mean, I, I think it's going to be a lot of really well timed simulations that are being used way and beyond just training. So, that's mm. number one. Mm. And then the other element that I would say, in the fu- is for our future is this idea of reassessing what our true assets are mm. uh, because they're unique because they're unique and they are in some ways the the hot topics of most most successful companies right now right. that yes, are trying right. to get a handle true. because as you were saying it's about it's about understanding human human and human technology interactions and mm-hmm. leverage and optimizing them mm-hmm. um, so yeah i think it's a great question i yeah Amazing. I, I also think I'll just throw in there. I also think that we are we have a lot to offer in terms of the understanding of empathy, mm-hmm. and I yes. think empathy is so you know quintessential, as we all know, to life, and it's also so quintessential to having effective teams. It's mm-hmm. effect. It's, it's quintessential to really uh, create inclusive environments, mm-hmm. uh, in diverse environments, and. Um, you know, so all in equitable environments. Mm-hmm. And so we have a lot to offer after, you know, a couple of decades of looking at this through the lens of simulation and debriefing mm-hmm. that are way and beyond the mannequins that are of real value to the institution. So mm-hmm. I'm excited about that. Yeah. I and think I'm going to hand over to Marie. That's such I, I a think perfect that's kind of, yeah, Oh, my into. God. It's like we planned this or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> such a great segue. Thank you. Um we're super excited about um, all, all that stuff that you were just talking about, that diversity, that empathy, the inclusion, the inclusivity, the, the creating those safe places and spaces to learn about this really hard stuff, the hard human stuff, to be fair. Um, yeah. And so we wanted to pick your brain because, again, we're, we feel like this is, I guess, a hot topic currently. Um, so we were fascinated to, to have a little bit more of a conversation about how, like, like how you actually do that. How do you drive that 
inclusivity, that equitable mm. with simulation. I'm not asking this question well mm. at all because it's massive. No, but um, so I'm sort <laughs> yeah. of trying to leave it really broad so that you can take it wherever you'd like. But yeah, we're yeah. just fascinated about anything and everything you have to offer in terms of all of that stuff. Well, I mean, I, I'll make just a couple of comments. I will first admit very clearly that I'm not an expert in this space. I don't know, you know, I think this is a lot about partnership, yes. quite honestly. You know, it's about partnering with departments of equity, diversity, and inclusivity, and with chief diversity officers and people who have devoted their lives to this mm-hmm. science and really understanding and, and making impact. And so we become a resource to them, yes. quite honestly. Um, and so, but I, but I do think part and parcel of what we what we were talking about, you know, I do think that we can offer, you know, a, a, um, a lot of very useful resources around this space. You know, one, of course, as we've talked about, is creating psycholo- psychologically safe um, containers in which to have these conversations, which are difficult, you know, and to try to work through. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have sort of a history of understanding implicit bias. Mm-hmm. You know, when we talk about debriefing, we really talk about how do you enter into a conversation with a stance of curiosity and not certainty. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And fundamentally, right, what that's about is how do you overcome confirmational bias? Right. How do you actually get at, you know, what we might have implicit biases around? And that is to reestablish or refresh a sense of curiosity and not certainty about the world. Yes. And so, again, you, you're sort of taking some of the experience we've all shared and have created some expertise around and how do you now kind of rejigger it mm. to be helpful in uh, all of these um, activities that are going on uh, and are growing meaningfully in, in EDI. Um, and, then, and then sort of a little bit around the debriefing methodology itself can be useful um, in, in getting at kind of the, the challenging some of these mm. experiences and maybe even reenacting them uh, and that's the whole role of, of the professional actor and all of the work that we've all done within the simulation community and relational skills uh, also plays into this and can be a tremendous resource uh, to those that are pursuing EDI work. Um, so I think it's a, it's a natural partnership. Mm. Uh, I do think there's lots inherently in what we do that we can offer and start to use to get at some of these issues around EDI and how do you really explore equity, you know, and diversity and inclusivity and and make real change around it. So I think we can do that by offering primarily from simulator programs, but also really um, importantly uh, partner effectively uh, with with, uh, various departments and folks within the institution. Mm -hmm. Uh, The simulation laboratory is just such a valuable resource for this kind of change. Mm -hmm. Um, So... That's how I begin to answer that question. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's massive, right? Like it's such yeah. a big, yeah. it's such a big space. And there, are great, there are some great programs uh, in the U.S. and otherwise that are, you know, using literally with, from within a simulator program are using simulation to really get at some of this. Um, and there, it, some of these programs are incredibly innovative uh, and, and effective, and they are all fundamentally utilizing experiential learning. Which gets back to, you know, the whole concept of adult learning. And, you know, we can't we can't forget that any intervention we design, you know, really has to appeal to the adult learner. And that's another area that Mm. we can offer help in. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
So I, yeah. the programs that you talk about that are like really getting in amongst it and, and being really innovative, are they mostly using actors or standardised patients or simulated patients or like are they using yeah, humans many, many to, to do that or in terms of the how yeah, and um, nitty gritty? Yeah, so they're using combinations, uh, but many of them are using actors mm. uh, to or, or are creating prompting scripts uh, that raise some of these issues and then are unpackaging the issues within debriefings. Right. And that's the power of what we do, right? right? Absolutely. Um, and, you, and you could design that intervention in a zone one, two kind of format where you really want this to be kind of instructional right. on some level, or you can design that in a zone three format where you want it to be much more exploratory and discoverable. Um, and so that's the power of kind of being able to construct things as needed. Yeah. But yeah, m many of them are using a professional actor kind of based uh, right. approach, but, f but fascinating uh, programs that are popping up. Yeah. And how do you, do, do, do people approach you in terms of helping out with those partnerships and programs? How do you stay, like, like we were talking about before, how do you stay aware of everything that's, that's yeah. going on in that space? I think that's, yeah, I think that's the challenge. I, I yeah. think a big part of, there was a question about the future of, simulation and where it's all going. Yeah, I think I'd add to that, you know, uh, this integrative nature has to be related to the idea that uh, the simulator programs leadership uh, is as present as possible at the right tables as as many of the right tables as as they can uh, and have to think pretty broadly about how to do that and, mm -hmm. and make sure that leadership is supporting that. Mm -hmm. Right. Because if you're not at the table as part of those conversations, then you can't be mm. effective. Mm. And so Absolutely. a big part of this puzzle, which has less to do with the simulator and the facilities and, you know, you know, bi-directional headsets, it's <laughs> yeah. being at the it's being at the right table. And that's that's what leadership can do to really help um, is, is liberate that so that simulation programs are are very much present and accounted for at the most you know, mission critical type of projects and and tables so that they can at least be aware of them and potentially offer up these resources. And EDI yes. is just an example of that. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Um, it's such a great point. I mean, I think it's kind of, you know, it's it's all about kind of walking the walk rather than just talking yeah. the talk, isn't it? Um, you mm -hmm. know, kind of absolutely. Being, sort of reading about the practice development and, you know, the, the essential kind of part that the leadership Mm -hmm. takes in kind of yeah coming into partnership because I mean workplace culture cannot change without the leadership kind of taking responsibility as well you know and saying this yeah. is what we're doing everybody's going to be doing it let's have this kind of shared mm. goal about what we do and let's do it together but I mean I think yeah it's kind of challenging at times shall mm. we say <laughs> but yeah. well I'll tell it, you yeah. I, I'll, I'll, I'll actually I'll actually give it a, I think you're absolutely right. I'll give it a name, which is that we've, you know, we've spent a lot of years um, making a pivot happen. You know, in, in mm -hmm. the healthcare world, I think there are three kind of ways that programs are, or departments are, are considered. You're, you're either a cost center, <laughs> you're a revenue center, mm -hmm. or there's something in between, and that's called a value center. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, when I talk about blood bank, you know, the blood bank's a value center. You know, no one's looking for the blood bank to make revenue. Mm. Uh, but they, they're also not considering them a cost center. It's, it's a value center. And patient safety and quality is considered a value center. You know, this, mm. And so for us, a big success is when the stimulator program is not viewed as a cost center, but a value center. Mm. And that's a, that's, a, that's a bit of a philosophical belief because obviously all of the cultural change data has got a landscape of about five to 10 years. It's not something you turn around in a day. Mm. Right. But when there's a belief, when there's a belief that practice makes better care and that systems design benefits from the most relevant recreations of our environment so that we make the right changes, mm. that's a value center. Mm. And then you're off and running. Yeah. But that's top down. You know, the, the leadership has to, you know, believe that and promote it because that's how, you know, innovations get jump started. Yes. Uh, so I just wanted to I wanted to mention that concept because yeah. that's yeah. been a lot of our focus is really targeting value center for the program. Yeah, that's that's a really fantastic way to think about it, actually, and to to put language in structure, as you as we talked about earlier around this stuff. And yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. You're welcome. Wow. I mean, I guess we better wrap this up. <laughs> we could probably go on all day, let's yeah. be honest. <laughs> we could keep throwing but we some, appreciate you have some a time big limit, questions so. for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, all day, but anyway, we will spare you. We'll wait till February <laughs> when we have you in person and okay. you can't escape. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. All right. Yeah. Well, I, well, hold on. I want to be on season two. <laughs> oh. Ooh. I like that. This is yeah. exciting. Well, let me. I'll, I'll just tell you, this was delightful. And I think this is such an, it's making me think for my own home program. But I just think this is such a nice mechanism mm -hmm. to get the word out and to, you know, have this casual conversation, but a meaningful conversation mm, about innovation. Um, there's so many podcasts out there that don't have that kind of, but you guys have really nailed it. I, this has real value. Thank so you. I'm just yeah, really, um, feel very, very uh, privileged to, to be a part of it. I appreciate you guys reaching out. Well, we appreciate you. Very appreciative being of you of being it, a yeah. part of it as well. Yeah. And we'll yeah. definitely have you back for part two. Well, yeah, yeah. We, we, <laughs> when we were planning this, just to be super transparent, we were like, well, we can't talk about the foundation without the guurus. So... You know, like Aww. it was always going to be a thing. So it's very Aww. exciting that you want to come back. We haven't broken you yet. So <laughs> thank you so much. And we're really looking forward to meeting well, you in person in February. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, can't, I can't wait. I'll and tell you, when I saw you guys with the Starship starship emblems behind you, that you, it's such a special place. And I feel tremendously uh, privileged that I've had a chance to work with so many of you at Starship. It's, a, it's an amazing uh, hospital, it's an amazing hospital system and uh, doing incredible work. And the fact that you guys have created the kind of simulation program that you have um, speaks to how you think about change, changing the status quo, you know, and really challenging it to create better care for patients. It's an amazing place. Thank I tell you. that to everyone I talk to. Thank, yeah. you. Thank we're, you. We're pretty proud to work there as well. So yeah. <laughs> thank you so you much. You should be. You really should be. Yeah. Amazing. Cool. All right. Well. Thanks for your time, Peter. Um, yeah. Nothing much else to say. No. Really. <laughs> Done. <laughs> nice. drop. If I could drop this mic, I would, but it's really <laughs> so short. Right? <laughs> Cold practice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We don't have the budget for that. <laughs> anyway, really yeah. nice to meet you guys. Yeah. Yes, you too. Thank you so much. Yeah. Have a lovely evening. Yeah.
Yeah. Thank you. All the best. Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast. It was made possible by the Starship Foundation and the Douglas Charitable Trust. And special thanks go out to all of our amazing guests and especially our producer Carl Thompson from Blue and Ginge Creative. If you'd like to connect with us on Twitter or find out any information from any of the episodes on this podcast, just see the show notes. Our Twitter handle is at starshipsimprog and our email is starshipsim at adhb.govt.nz. We would love to hear from you.